0: We can't buy more clean air. We can't buy more clean water. I don't care what you have to say, but we have to adapt or we die. The voice of the people is the voice of the advocates. It is the power of organizing. That's what creates that initial change.
1: This is People Over Plastic. Welcome to the People Over Plastic podcast. I'm Shilpi Chotre, your host, plastic pollution activist, and media maven. This season, we're honored to join forces with PRISM, a nonprofit newsroom led by journalists of color. Ray Levi-Ueda, PRISM's climate justice reporter, helps me break down the facts. We believe you deserve to know the real stories behind climate chaos and society's most pressing injustices. It's time to set the record straight. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. In this episode, we're heading to Kauai, Hawaii. Did you know Kauai has been a historic hub for GMOs or genetically modified organisms? These companies have been dousing the island with toxic pesticides, but not without a fight. When you think about Hawaii, you think of paradise, right? Pristine beaches and incredible food. Well, we're gonna break down what's actually going on and why indigenous farmers are trying to bring back the abundant and thriving land of their ancestors. On today's show, I'm excited to introduce you to Josh Mori, the founder of Awikwa, an educational and cultural resource hub for sustainable food production in West Kauai. Josh is deeply invested in reestablishing the connection between culture and land that was stolen by American colonization. Let's hear him explain what this actually means
0: in practice. When we talk about regenerative economy, it's not one that is sprawled. It's one that very much like an inner city, you work and live in the same building and and you're down the road, you go walk to the market. And that's something that is a foot traffic. You can walk your life. And I think that's something that we've seen with human population ultimately allows us to be sustainable and to thrive. The urban sprawl of the 50s, this whole like, oh, you got to live 45 minutes away from where you work and you can drive. uh, We're seeing the real negative effects on a lot of the things that we do in our planet.
1: Hawaii imports more than 80 percent of its food at a cost of three billion annually and nearly 90% of the small farms on the island earn less than 50,000. I also found a study that 27% of Native Hawaiians are food insecure.
0: I think it goes to that model of, like, of being self-sufficient. And ultimately, when you look across BIPOC communities, especially the eye in there, a lot of indigenous communities, the fear is that they will have self-sufficiency again. Indigenous community around the world created amazing infrastructure and created amazing society, and not to romanticize it at all, By the powers that be, the scarier thing is that indigenous peoples and peoples of color have self-sufficiency again. And so when we talk about getting off of the food cycle for us, and I think the one number you say there that really startles me is that only 27% of Native Hawaiians are food insecure. I think that number would be much higher. Like we lived in absolute poverty my first years of farming, meaning that I made less than $5,000 a year. So in the Western system, we were absolutely poor. To be resilient, and to be self-sufficient, I think when we talk about our communities and Why we're kept in a place of just poor nutrition is because if we're not thinking well, because we're not eating well, then it's really simple to control people based off of their knee-jerk reactions.
1: Just a couple months ago, Prism published a piece penned by Ray about the importance of revitalizing Hawaiian food systems. As Ray explains, dependence on mainland food imports is an exploitative process which has been made worse by the tourism industry. So around the 1960s, after the end of World War II, the U.S. started really pushing for Hawaii to be more of a tourist industry.
0: For our communities, I just see that it's $3 billion annually spent on bringing food in to Hawaii. It's more about keeping up the status quo because it keeps people in different categories. And we see that through branding and marketing is that organic food is too expensive. It's really not. You know it's too expensive is chemotherapy. We're not seeing people fight against chemotherapy because we're the number one herbicide and pesticide testing site in the world. We've been skewed and it's easier to keep that lie going than to re- hit the reset button and go through the really hard pains of breaking up with you know these huge food conglomerates that are responsible and are, are making bank off of bringing in all the food to all of our public schools, Coke and Pepsi and And the like nestle you know these massive corporations that are just poisoning our communities so
1: coke is one of the top plastic polluting brands in the world you know we sometimes turn it back into new bottles sometimes it goes here but don't worry only 92 percent of plastics end up here you mentioned nestle coke and pepsi these are three of the top single-use plastic polluters in the world So it's not only this transition away from organic produce from your land, but the infiltration of single-use plastic packaging that's now coming into your communities. So check this out. The history of chemical companies like Dow, Syngenta, and DuPont run deep in Kauai. A 2015 report by the Center for Food Safety detailed how these companies would use 17 times more restricted-use insecticides per acre than on ordinary cornfields in the U.S. mainland. These pesticides, by the way, have been heavily banned in other countries. Pesticides have been linked to cancer, Alzheimer's disease, ADHD, and even birth defects. Let's get a little bit of history from Josh.
0: Five big families pretty much own the majority of the land on Kauai that's been privatized. We talk about the herbicide and, and the pesticide stuff on Kauai, and, you know, they've changed names. But they're still here working at Montana State University. And they'd be like, Josh, why are you so anti-GMO? I'm not anti-GMO as much as I'm anti you just testing on our community without talking to us. We have corn because Native Americans took the time over 11,000 years to take Tiosente and crossbreed it. That's a hybrid. So if we're going to get into semantics of it, I'm really against the gene splicing. And then ultimately, I'm more against, because I'm not a scientist, I'm more against you guys testing on our communities. All we're asking is that you tell us what's going on. That's it. You're poisoning all of our water, all of our air, all of our aina. And then you're lying to our face and then you're suing us so that you can continue to do it. That's what we're against. It's not that I'm against your research possibilities. Wild, right? So
1: Hawaii as a state has been battling and winning on some occasions the fight against the global agro industry. Monsanto has agreed to pay millions of dollars as part of a plea agreement. The U.S. Attorney's Office says the company used and stored to ban pesticide on Oahu cornfields in Lower Kunia and Haliiva, and also failed to follow regulations by allowing workers to enter those fields that had recently been sprayed with the pesticide. On June 13, 2018, the governor signed a bill which made the use of a major neurotoxic pesticide illegal. It called on more transparency and no spray zones around schools during school hours. But the fight in Kauai, Ground Zero for the five largest chemical companies in the world
0: continues on. The larger corporations were able to split our community right down the middle. And it was a racial thing. If you were against the GMO, if you were against open-air pesticide and herbicide testing in your community, then you were white and you were a kook and you were from the North Shore. You were bougie, you were all these things. You weren't for local people, you weren't for agriculture, that they made really fun shirts that I still see. It's like pro-ag and that was their thing. And it was like, bro, you guys not even feeding our community. Cause how much of your food makes it into the community? 0% at that time, I would say less than 1% of the actual poundage that was being grown on West Kolati made it into our community. And the pounds that did was their annual pumpkin giveaway. Cause they were going crazy ass giant GMO pumpkins and they'd give them away and now everybody'd be hyped. Like, oh shit, I got a free pumpkin. Yes. You know, and it's like, bro, but they just, you need like all these cats have cancer and we're getting pumpkins. Community got sued, so our county, we passed a bill called 2491,
1: and it
0: was legislative. And it was groundbreaking, and it was really weak, and then they sued us, the, us being the people of Kauai. They're workers. They sued the county on trademark. And the whole thing was, is like, oh, we can't disclose what chemicals we're using because someone might take our trademark and they might use it. The whole thing was money. It was all higher profit. It happened on Big Island, happened on Maui as well, because they all followed suit.
1: So this is like Monsanto and Dow.
0: Dow, BASF, Syngenta, Monsanto and Molokai. And so you had, to be at the five largest chemical companies in the world all had homes in Hawaii. For decades, Syngenta, Pioneer DuPont, BASF and Dow have sprayed tons of toxic chemicals here as they test different
1: pesticides to market with their genetically modified seeds. Kauai's climate means
0: multiple formulations can be tested in the same fields all year. They haven't left. You know, they change names. (laughs) And that's what corporations are allowed to do is they just sell. So we have Hartung Brothers, who is turnkey of Syngenta. It's the exact same thing, but it's a family organization from Nebraska. You're still doing the same stuff that Syngenta did. You're just not in Switzerland. You're from Nebraska. I was helping condition the baseball team during this time at the high school because I'm the track coach over there and I was helping out But, you know, all the coaches were the higher ups. They were the lunas for, you know, the the supervisors for these companies. So I'd be in great relation with them. And these are their kids. And they're entrusting me with their kids' athletic futures. Then I'm seeing them on the weekend and we're fighting against each other. We're picketing against each other. And I'm in the courtroom and I'm testifying. And these are our neighbors.
1: It's what you said, you're on this pro-Hawaiian platform and building that next generation so they're autonomous and that they can be self-sufficient. So let's get into that a little bit more.
0: I was raised working on farm. I loved bucking hay. I don't mind that it's 125 degrees and I got to wear leather shafts. Like, it's hard work, and I, but I feel a worth in that. This is an interesting thing because we're talking specifically about BIPOC community. One thing that I talk frequently about with my best friend, we talk every morning, he lives in Minnesota. And he's a Black man from Texas. And we talk about the validation of the Black body, but not the Black mind. I would say the same thing about the brown body, not the brown mind. And I wonder how much of my pride in doing physical labor comes from that outside validation of like, this is what my worth is. (laughs) And why am I so easy to want to do physical labor? And to answer the question directly, it's really our only way forward. We had food, real food as kids because of our upbringing. So when I think about like, If there was a way that we get to go forward and try and create an economy based off of the thing that we do the best in Hawaii, which is grow food. This is not to be um, ethnocentric, but Native Hawaiians, by any metrics that white people came and gave us, were the best gardeners in the world. We have this amazing ability to lead the world in how do we think radically, the farming when we start to look at our what we look at as resources in the Western paradigm, we, we turn them back into our relative. And not to make that fantastical, but actually what you do with your relatives is you care for them. And so if we cared for our food systems, we're much more likely to have reproductive food systems that take care of us in return. And in Hawaii, we're just really close to that story still.
1: There was another piece of Josh's story that really spoke to me. He's a father of two and is raising his kids to have deep respect for ancestral Hawaiian traditions. Here's his take on getting the younger generation involved.
0: Being a dad thing is a real soft spot for me. I love being a dad. Everything else is just stuff to fill the time. So I think sometimes we get into these um, silos and we think we're the only ones doing it. That's a deficit mindset that we've been taught. You know, we're on our own, it's a lonely world, you gotta fight for everything, you gotta grind all the time. And that's definitely a colonial construct. It takes multiple interventions along this scale to take down this beast. We're the largest organic farm in Waimea, which is not a great pat on the back. We're the only organic farm in Waimea, which is a problem. The goal is access more kids, get them to be entrepreneurs. I don't want them to work for me. I want them to figure out, and we can help give them the tools hey, we need more brown business owners, business owners that come from the plantation era whose families were brought over and had to work through shit conditions. We want you to see that you are validated in your spacing. You don't have to wait for some Uber, global, national, whatever to come own you. Like dog, do your own thing. Like young woman, be your own boss. I actually said this to my wife the other day. I said, if I die young and don't get to be an old man with my kids, I really hope they remember that dad was dirty. The pride and having your hands in the ground and that you can be. And so for me to get a PhD is to make that full circle for my kids. I want my kids to see that like, yo, dad farmed really hard, but dad also validated the academic normalizing that you can go get educated and you can be a good person. You can do all of these things. And because we're not supposed to, or it's not for us. And it's really, really important.
1: This has been proved over and over again that communities that are being directly impacted by plastic pollution and dealing with it and navigating it and trying to develop resilient food systems against it are not the communities responsible for um, creating the pollution in the first place. The petrochemical industry, which makes plastic, also makes agricultural pesticides and all of those chemicals.
0: Yeah, Dow Chemicals.
1: DuPont, and they're all part of the same supply chain.
0: Only now are we starting to talk about the ethics of using plastic. Because when you hire humans, there's ethical laws now. Like, surprise, plantations, you were horrible to people for so long that we created laws. I mean, is this is how plastic is. Is it just as a longer process to screwing people of color over on the outskirts of society? We keep on doing things like creating these plastics, and now it's coming full circle that it's gut biome of all the fish food everywhere because plastics don't break down. So that whole ethical question of like, yeah, we can, but should we?
1: Is there any support that mainland settlers can offer?
0: You know, Marie, who my wife, who is an amazing human being and far superior to me and damn near everything, except for vertical leap and foot quickness. I tease all the time that like, yo, as a white woman, I need you because you can stay on hold. You've been given a space where you're allowed to take things back. And you're allowed to be like, hey, no, this isn't okay. So be in that space for us. We need that allyship in a big way. Communicate and don't come to Hawaii. <laughs> you should boycott tourism to Hawaii until Native Hawaiians are allowed to dictate what tourism looks like in Hawaii. You know, that's why COVID was phenomenal for us because it literally shut it down and allowed us to see what could happen.
1: And now people are going back in hordes again.
0: More numbers now than ever before, than pre-numbers. Gentrification isn't new,
1: but for Native Hawaiians, being priced out can mean being forced to move off-island entirely thousands of miles away from their ancestral lands.
0: This is our land, yet we can't even afford to be here.
1: So there's another piece of Josh's story that's important to uplift. The presence of the U.S. military is deeply embedded with colonial practices that have shaped modern Hawaii. It's been over a hundred years since the U.S. military participated in the overthrow of the Kingdom of Hawaii in 1893. Well, militarism continues to distort the cultural and political environment.
0: The military complex of the United States military and tourism have us in a stranglehold financially. Even our policies, you look at a local level, so we can't live and work on our own farms. But what I'm saying is they create laws that are to keep these multi-million and billionaires who come over here and they will have a papaya stand and they get ag water and they get ag lease on their land, they get ag rates. It's actually hurting us. It's certainly us who actually need to be able to live and work on our own land. It's the gentrification thing is is wild. So I would say part of what makes us indigenous peoples is our ability to stay within the inclusive realm. It's always profit over people and so now we're in that trying to get resilient mode 20 years later you know to round that out and to end on a positive is that it's about reconnecting people to people and sharing our combined stories I am one small piece of a lot that's going on, and and not that anybody's going to attribute my story to being the definitive truth. We know that the movement needs to keep on moving forward, and we're just trying to do a small piece. But there's a lot that we don't know, and we're constantly trying to be lifelong learners, which I think is so important in this era, in this day and age.
1: Josh's quest for knowledge and learning is a good reminder for all of us. It's important to learn the real history of Hawaii and understand how deeply interconnected colonialism, military presence, and tourism impacts agricultural food systems. It's also an important reminder that we are entitled to transparency and complete information when it comes to the chemicals going into the land making our food. To learn more about Josh's work and his organization, check out our show notes. Not My Mainland was produced by Francisco Nunez Capriles and generously supported by the Food and Farm Communications Fund. If you're loving the show and haven't done so yet, please hit subscribe and leave us a rating and review. We've got one more episode for the season. See you soon.